thank you, Christina, for joining us on the Fostering Community Podcast. For those who are listening, Christina works at the Department of Family and Protective Services in Houston as the Region 6A Service Program Administrator. And in a little bit, I'll ask you to expand on what exactly that is for those who don't know. Um, you and I first connected last year, and a few months ago, our case manager, Hannah, and I had the pleasure of meeting with you in person to discuss working together to serve foster families in Houston. So it's great to have you here with us. Let's get started by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and what part of Houston do you live in? I am from Houston. I live currently in Spring. I'm a mother of three, all adult children, and been married for about 30 years. I have a background in psychology and social work and have a degree in business administration with uh, management as the concentration. And when I first started in my profession, I wanted to be an industrial psychologist. But uh, I found I needed a job. <laughs> my husband said, get out, too much education, right? And that's how I got this line of work. <laughs> I had okay. a good friend at the time that worked for CPS um, and said, you know what, Christina, you'll be a good match for this agency. And I started working for DFPS about 24 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about abuse and neglect, you know, what the agency did and, and why they got involved. And so, you know, I started uh, learning about uh, abuse, neglect, uh, in the job. And since I've been with uh, CPS, which is 24 years, I've had about six different jobs. So wow. I've done uh, subcare, adoptions, kinship, and then I've also worked the business side. So I've incorporated that uh, point of service with residential contracts and providers, you know, that do uh, therapy, those types of contracts with our agency. So it's really given me a broad perspective of what it takes to do business together with our providers and to meet our family needs. So it's safe to say you know all about the foster care system. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Every perspective from, from, from being a provider, from being, you know, a worker to now I'm a service program administrator. So you work over region 6A. Can you just share the difference between 6A and 6B? And can you also tell us approximately how many kids are currently in foster care in region 6A? Region 6A and 6B is made up of 13 counties. So, you know, back in, I want to say 2014, we split. And so 6B now services Austin County, Brazoria County, Chambers County, Colorado, Fort Bend, Galveston, Liberty, Matagorda, Montgomery, Walker, Waller, and Wharton counties. So that's 12 counties. I think I got them all. And then 6A <laughs> services Harris County only. So Harris County is big. You know, we've seen that with the COVID charts and things about uh, it's, a, it's a big county. So 6A only covers legal kids that are removed from Harris County and 6B covers all the other counties. We approximately have, 6B probably has about 1,300 kids legally in their custody, and 6A has about 3,000, a little over 3,000 kids in our custody. But uh, because Harris County is what I call resource rich, meaning we have a lot of providers here, we have a lot of resources here, a lot of other regions place kids in our county, in Harris County. And so with kids placed in Harris County, we probably have about a little over 3,100 kids. They don't all belong to 6A, but they're all living in Harris County. Okay, so let's talk about kinship families. Can you explain what a kinship 
placement is and what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen for kinship caregivers? Are there any specific stories you can kind of share without getting into the confidential specifics? Well, I mean, for us, a kinship family is just a very similar to what foster parents face, but they don't make a conscious effort to have a relative place in their home or it's not a planned decision for them. So it's an alternative placement for us is that if a kid cannot stay with their parents or stay in their own home, then we have to look for an alternative placement. And so a kinship home is grandma, aunt, uncle, cousin, school teacher, uh, church member, a fictive kin, somebody that significantly knows that kid where they don't have to go into a what we call a foster placement. Many a times these kinship families are just found, find out about the need to be a be a caregiver at the last minute. So we may call them up because we're having to remove a child. And so they don't really get to think, plan about it. They quickly just make the decision, yes, I'll, I'll take my grandson. Mm -hmm. And so these are usually quick, quick placements. There's probably a lot of complex emotional things going on. You know, maybe they didn't know about the things that was were happening in the home. Maybe they did and they try to help mitigate it. But, uh, you know, they're put in a hard spot because they have to be able to cope with meeting that child's needs and being safe, but also helping their relative, you know, their, their niece, their sister, their brother, you know, or their own child. And that sometimes I think is probably the hardest thing for a kinship family to do. We have to monitor the child. So they have that going on. Um, they're also trying to meet the needs of their own children in the home. So, you know, many times you've got an aunt that has three kids and then we place a nephew with them. And so that family dynamics gets a little bit shaken up. And so they have to deal with, you know, how do, how do they balance all that? I think it's probably the biggest struggle. Family members want their kids. Kids do better with family members because they already know that child a little bit, that child's history. So that all meshes really well. It's just, you know, all the other things, us being in their lives, the Elida being in their life. Um, having to go to court, having to take the kid to therapy. How do you balance all that? So that's new for them. And I think that's probably their biggest struggle is that balance. Yeah. So there's pros and cons because clearly you have the, the child being able to stay with a relative, but that relative is fairly unprepared. Um, they didn't go through all of the training, the ahead of time training that everybody else goes through. So they're kind of just very unprepared for it. Um, you're also involved in the PAL program. Can you explain what that is for people that don't know? So PAL program, it stands for Preparation for Adult Living. Um, we have about 12 PAL specialists who work with youth, uh, with the youth's primary worker to ensure the youth is prepared to exit foster care. And, and when I wear this hat, the PAL program services both 6A and 6B. So my kinship program, I only focus on Harris County because 6B has their own kinship program. But for the PAL program, we only have one and it services both regions. So we're in all 13 counties and we start working with youth at the age of 14. And the idea is to work with the youth until they exit care, whether they return home, whether they stay with grandma, whether they age out of care uh, to ensure that they're ready to leave care. You know, do they have their driver's license? Do they have an ID? Do they know how to write a check? Well, I, I use that example, but that's old. I don't even think we write checks anymore. <laughs> do they know how to <laughs> monitor their myself. online banking account? <laughs> yes, yeah, so their 
negative account that, you know, money just doesn't grow on trees, you know, how to have a job, live in the world, how to get an apartment and things like that. Uh, we have classes, what we call life skill classes that they go to. We hold events, aging out events. We have job fairs. We have college for success. We try to connect uh, youth with foster care liaisons with the colleges. The school districts have foster care liaisons, so we try to ensure that that child is connected with that liaison in their school district to ensure they're getting all the benefits that, that they can benefit from. Mm -hmm. So it's just preparing that young youth, you know, to, to aging out, making sure they have connections, you know, making sure that they uh, uh, address their abuse and neglect and they're healthy mentally and healthy physically to be able to walk out in that world. Like I said, to connect them to support systems. Because they don't have that. Once they leave our care, they may not have that support system. How long are they involved with the PAL program? So it, they start at 14 and they stay connected with us as long as they're in care. So you may have a kid that comes in care at 14 and then they return home at 14 and a half. But if a kid comes in and stays in care and we don't find a permanency for them, either with a relative or return home or an adoption home, we do have some youth that age out. So what we call that is emancipating. They leave care at the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a lot of services, uh, like they can stay in foster care after age 18 if they want to. Some choose not to, but they can. And we try to keep them connected through foster care. So they can stay in paid placement up till 22 if they want to, as long as okay. they're working or going to school. But a lot of uh, youth at that age want to be on their own. So they end up leaving and they can come back. They have a, a window of opportunity to come back if they like. But even if they don't come back, we do provide service up to age 22. So okay. to help them find an apartment, to help them with uh, a few things, we have like $1,000 they can tap into for things that they may need. Um, they have this college tuition waiver. There's a lot of resources they can tap into. And so we help case manage that after, after they turn 18. Mm. Okay. Switching gears, how have you seen families um, that you work with affected by COVID-19 and what can people do out there to help? So they're affected the same way you and I are. So if we have four kids placed with them that are no longer in school, I'm sure their stress level is up high. Mm -hmm. You know, we did struggle for a, for a while about ensuring, you know, families had uh, computers the school district stepped in. We connected with like foster care liaisons to ensure foster kids got, you know, the needed computers they needed to deal with that. You know, families struggle because maybe they're not working anymore. So we have had uh, food deliveries to families, you know, to help supplement those kind of things because now you have all the kids at home eating all the meals at home. So we've done that. We do have virtual uh, therapy, doctor's appointments, things like that to make sure they're handling the stress okay. You know, we just take one case one at a time. Courts have been delayed uh, due to COVID-19. So, you know, sometimes resolution on a case may be a little bit slower than it was before COVID-19, but we're working through all those issues also. Do you work with a lot of lower income families? Uh, yes, I would say yes, we do. And we do have the kinship benefits, uh, if they're eligible, that they do get a, a monthly stipend. It's not much, it's eleven fifty five a day, but that's also helped them, you know, to to supplement meeting those the, the kids' needs. But mainly, you know, what do you do locked up in a house all day, making sure people are getting exercise, talking to families on a regular basis, 
to, to assess their stress levels, things mm-hmm. like that. Out of all of this, what is your favorite part of your job and what is the most challenging? I think the favorite part of uh, my job is working with people. Even though I'm a service program administrator, I still go out to homes. I still try to help. I built a bed the other day. A family, a grandma needed it, needed help. So I like working in the field. And the most challenging part of the job, I think, is just, you know, how do we all work together for the same mission? Uh, getting all the service providers and all of us to, to work with a family in the way they need to. So right now it's challenging because we still need to make home visits, but families don't want five different people in their home. And so how do you, you know, how do you share that family and all of us get what we need from that one visit uh, has been really challenging. Um, But I I think we're lucky. I I really like working in Harris County. All our providers are pretty responsive. Uh, Our placement providers, you know, work well, have adapted well, uh, especially with COVID-19. We, like I said, we're resource rich. So I think we have what it takes to help people. For me, the most challenging at the beginning was just preventive services, but you can see our PEI services have stepped up their game. And I think that will help families uh, to stabilize uh, and to access, you know, resources they need before they enter our system. Mm -hmm. So I think that that will be good. So to me, it's, you know, let's try to keep people from coming in if we can and give them those resources. And when we leave, give them that support that, hey, tap into these resources when you're not working with us. And that can help you be stronger. We have a good faith-based community. I mean, we've gotten a lot of donations, people helping with those food bags I talked about, you know, churches putting those together. And I'm talking about good food bags with fresh loaves of bread, peanut Mm. butter, things that, you know, families really need to help them through these times. We live in a good community. I think that helps with, with the challenges of our job. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Christina, for your time today. We look forward to working with you more and the rest of the State Department. So thank you very much. I appreciate it.